Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Welcome to our gathering place once again. So uh, some, if not all of you know, uh, I am a doctoral candidate. And what that means is I've completed... Uh, the, the workload necessary uh, to get to a certain point in academia. And uh, there's these things called uh, the comprehensive exams, or comps. And uh, just curious, is there, any, is there any other doctors in the house tonight, medical or otherwise? Okay, I was just curious if we had a, a doctor here, another one. Um, the comps is what, is what we call them for short, the comprehensive exams. Uh, but let me back up. Um, two years, uh, two and a half years worth of the academic rigor, going, going through the reading and the writing, the papers, the lectures, the Zoom calls, the, the residencies, going to Meyerstown, Pennsylvania for a couple days. And, and uh, all, of, all of these trials built on top of themselves. It, it, it all builds up, and it, and it, it arrives finally... When all the coursework was done, it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, it's time to take these these comps. And if you don't pass the first time, they allow you to take them a second time. Now, if you fail the second time, then you're out. Um, And they give you just a certificate. Like, here's a theological certificate, uh, but you don't get to be a doctor. Uh, Only two chances. So... um, these comp exams are very stressful, and it's actually two parts. There's a written component and an oral component. So basically, they say, hey, here's a prompt. You have two weeks to write a paper, and then in two weeks, we're going to circle up. Because of the pandemic, it was a Zoom call, and we, we had to basically defend and talk about our, our paper that we wrote. Um, Thankfully, and praise God, I passed my, my comps. This, this happened um, over a year ago at this point now. Um, so when you pass the comps, they say, okay, you're a doctoral candidate, and then you start working on this ever-sized paper called a dissertation. And that's currently where I'm at right now, just to give you the update. I'm just writing a very, very big paper. But yeah, the, the trials that we go through in life, trials build us up, and we grow stronger. And while the stress is still there, basically, you know, I was at the point, whether I wanted to be there or not, whether I thought I was ready or not, I actually, because of just going through the process of schoolwork, going through that educational process, those educational trials, I was actually prepared to take those comps. And uh, today we are um, continuing our our sermon series through the book of James, the letter of James. It's our our second one in it. And we are considering the Christian perspective on facing trials. Facing trials. We're looking at James 1, 2 to 12 today. We do have a five-point sermon for you. You can reference your, your handout. I believe the points are on the back there. Uh, but let me say a prayer, and uh, then we'll get, we'll get right into it. 
Heavenly Father, God, what a privilege to be able to study from your word today and think about the trials we face. Lord, you, you want us to think a certain way about the various trials, Lord. And so uh, today, God, I just pray that our minds are sharp, that we're able to, to listen, we're, we're ready to just grab a hold of, of uh, the honeycomb that is your word and, and just eat it up today. Uh, we want to learn, we want to grow, and we just ask that you would speak to us today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so James is a pillar of the early church, and he writes this letter to the church at large, the church abroad, the churches scattered all across the Roman Empire. Christians are dispersed abroad. And so let's just take a moment to enter their world in the mid-first century. Uh, Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is oppressive. Um, we need to remember that there's not really a middle class in the Roman Empire, 90% of the people live at or below the poverty line. Uh, Christianity uh, is seen as a sect of Judaism, but it's starting to take its own nature and shape and flair, and persecution is on the rise. So in James chapter 1, starting with verse 2, after a brief introduction, a brief reading, James jumps straight to his first topic, and it's trials. Trials. Now, for James, trial is a morally neutral term. It's a morally neutral term. It basically means any hard time, any unwelcome experience that comes your way. And James doesn't really give us a definition on what a trial is. And so let's just take a moment to expand on that. Again, a trial is a hard time in life. All of us, we, we are going to encounter life events that are not fair, life events that are challenging, experiences that will drain us, oppress us. People will put us down. People will break our hearts. It's not just other people's problems. It's our own problems, too. You know, our own bad decisions might lead us into trials, right? We have trials at work, trials with money, trials due to classism, racism, sexism, religious persecution, and we could go on and on and on. All the hard things that happen to us in life. We all go through trials. Trials can be different between community and community, different between countries and other cultures. We all go through various trials. And here's the thing. Something that, that you struggle with might be a walk in the park for somebody else, and vice versa. You know, when, when we talk about suffering and hard times and trials, when, when that stuff is on the table, it's not about comparing suffering, but it's about compassion. And so as we come into our lesson today, we must be ready to, to listen. We must recognize that Everyone has their own experiences. Now, James, James is concerned with how we view trials. Okay? Now, first, before we get to what James has to say, I just want to say, you know, going through a trial does not mean a, you're in a failure. Going through a change in life does not mean 
failure. And James here, he, he invites us to, to embrace what we go through mentally. To, he invites us to, to change our perspective around the various trials we experience. In short, he's coaching us to have an attitude adjustment. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. All right, get your, your trial hat. Pick a trial out of the trial hat. All right, the things that, that frustrate you, whatever, whatever you pull out of that trial hat, like, like how can you consider that to be a great joy, to be full joy, pure joy? What James says is because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James is going to the deeper faith level here. What he's saying is this. When we go through trials, our belief in who God really is when that is tested, you know, testing in this sense is, is a good thing because it's going to promote our development. When your belief in God is tested, the outcome of going through what you're going through is going to be endurance, patience, long-suffering. You get stronger. And so why should we consider exasperating experiences a great joy. Because if, we, if we're able to take a step back, if we're able to let the process unfold, we're going to grow deeper. Our roots go deeper in our belief of who God is. And the deeper our faith, the stronger our Christian action. As we believe deeply, we mature. James says, our trajectory is like we're moving towards completeness, lacking nothing. So this perspective change, it sets a hope-filled trajectory. The pathway, the plan, this trajectory of our life is headed towards maturity and wholeness, victory. So here's our first point for, the, for today. God invites us to take a joy-shaped perspective on trials. James doesn't seem to be concerned about what the source of the trial is. The technique here is to transform your mind around the troubling experiences in life. The deeper we grow in God, the quicker our reaction time is to put a redemptive spin on things. You know, the, seeing the redemptive side of suffering, that is deeply rooted in our Christian faith. Now certainly, I think there's room to ask questions about deep, deep, deep suffering. Like today on the anniversary of, of 9-11, sure, we can, we can ask questions like, okay, how is 9-11 redemptive in any way, for those who had to choose between burning or jumping from the tower. And so that, that's a big question. And we're reminded just with the fact of that question, like, yeah, we don't know everything. We're small. We're limited. 
We need help in our understanding. Here's the thing. Trials are called trials for a reason, and, and God doesn't want us to go through them alone. And so we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need His wisdom to give us practical guidance on how to get through the trials of life. And so therefore, point number two is God invites us to ask for wisdom. James says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Facing trials, faith being tested, low on wisdom, ask God for his help. Ask God for wisdom. God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear from his kids. He, he wants us to talk to him. We call this prayer. Know this about God. Know this about God. He is a generous giver of wisdom. God wants to give you wisdom. And James says that when God gives wisdom, he gives it with no expectation of getting something in return. Ungrudgingly, it says in the translation I'm using today. God doesn't keep a scorecard. So whether you're struggling or not in this actual moment, this actual day, remember that you have access to God. Through spirit, through word, through community, God will give his wisdom to you. Wisdom. God will give you his wisdom to know how to work through stuff. Wisdom is more than just understanding, but wisdom is the ability to, to, to do, the, the practical guidance. Okay, this is how you cope with complex issues. This is, this is how you work through challenges, how to put your faith into practice. And of course, his wisdom will align with his mission, with his will, with his purpose. You have access to God. You have access to the wisdom of of the God who created all things, and he gives it away generously and graciously. Now, when you ask for wisdom, ask from a place of sincere confidence. Ask from a place of confidence. So this is our third point. God calls us to a simple, confident faith, a faith that, it, that lives out the wisdom that he gives. Verse 6 says, Ask in faith without doubting. Ask in faith and don't doubt. Okay. What does doubting look like? James says, Okay, the, the, the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. So the person who doubts is like the, the stormy, rough sea waves tossed around, twirled around by the wind. The kind of doubt that James is talking about is when your faith goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. God is sovereign, but is he? God is good all the time, though. God is a provider. Well, sometimes I have to be my own provider, and you know, I'll I'll take a little bit more when I have to, because you know, we 
when when we're restless, double-minded, allegiances go going back and forth. So again, James is drilling down to the faith level, the belief level here. He's calling us to a simple, yet profound and confident faith. A faith that will live out the wisdom that he gives. A wisdom that puts our faith into action and carries us through. Now one more thing on, on doubt. It's, you know, it's, it's okay to have questions. Doubt can be a helpful tool. It can be instructive. And let me explain that. Doubt can lead to theological investigation and analysis and conversation as we seek out the ways and wisdom of God. Faith-seeking understanding. Faith-seeking intellectual engagement. That's, that's a good thing. But what James is talking about is it's when our prayers, when our posture, when our, when our prayers come from this hesitant and suspicious and skeptical heart. That's what James is getting at. Do you really expect to receive wisdom from God when your faith is, is dubious? Adrift at sea, floating around, keeping your options open. You know, even if God did give this person his beautiful wisdom, would it even matter? Because that person's heart is caught up in indifference. They might just completely miss it all together. Again, drifting around, going back and forth, waffling back and forth. James says, don't be like that. God is who he says he is, and when he speaks, his word will not return empty. He will accomplish and achieve what he desires, what he purposes. And so, yes, when you go through a trial, church, when you're facing that big storm that's slapping you in the face, don't check out. Confidence in God. Drink from His wisdom. See through the trial. See through the storm. See the spiritual formation and the joy that's on the other side of the trial. And it's that faith confidence that sees you through the hard times in life. Now, what would be an example of a trial in this first century? Well, it would be poverty. Actually, the majority of Christians on this planet still face the trial of poverty. Verse 9, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and, together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Now in studying this, this one's tricky. Different scholars and commentaries go different ways on how to teach about this. But let me start with the rich person. Let me start with the rich. As a warning, affluence can be a hindrance to our faith. Our lives are packed full of material things. And all of our stuff, our riches, it can dull our heart. 
we certainly could talk more about the superabundance that we have in our modern America. We go to BJ's, Costco, Super Walmart, and we're not even amazed anymore at the superabundance that is right there. Or nowadays, Amazon. You can sit at home, click, click, click. You, you know, if you had the money for it, you could get everything delivered right to you. Food, water, everything. But when it comes to needing wisdom, wisdom, no amount of riches can buy you the wisdom that comes from above. And chasing worldly dreams and activities, gaining riches and treasures and trinkets, all the trinkets we have, right? We don't get to take any of that stuff with us. Some friends of ours recently downsized, and they, they gave a, an estimate, and they're like, we got rid of about 80% of our stuff. And in their final analysis, they were like, we don't even miss it. So here's the wisdom that James gives. The, the rich, the wealthy are to boast, rejoice in their humiliation, they're, they're being made low. Because from a kingdom perspective, status, wealth, that's not transferred over into the kingdom of God. And so the only boasting that's necessary is boasting in Jesus Christ. When our wealth, when our status, when our titles, when our prestige is taken away and we are made low, the perspective is boast in that, celebrate in that. Because we boast in Jesus Christ alone. Yeah, I don't I don't like my titles and prestige and whatever wealth, like like all of that doesn't matter. Jesus is what matters. I'm gonna boast in Jesus alone. Now, on the other side, for the Christian of limited means, the believer who struggles and wrestles through the trial of financial insecurity, James says, yeah, go ahead. Take pride in your high position. Poor Christian, God sees you, and he will raise you up. Your life is hard. Sometimes it is brutal. Your faith is tested every single day. Your Christian growth. Is so beautiful to God. Your spiritual formation is so stunning. Yes, boast in Jesus, the one who raises you up. And so here's our fourth point. God wants you, rich or poor, to boast in Jesus. Now I want to borrow from a Chicago area pastor. He explains it pretty well like this. He says, at the end of the day, both the poor church member and the rich church member, they should have similar-looking boasts. The reason why is this. All of us who believe in Jesus are to boast in Him. This is what, it, this is what unites us as one church. We boast in Jesus. We rejoice in Jesus. End quote. Jesus once said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he encourages us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is everything we need. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. He is our provider. He is our protector. And know this, whatever status you are in 
right now in life, whatever your earthly status is, the best is yet to come. So, then, James 1 verse 12 brings a summarizing lesson. The attitude, really. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So our fifth and final point for today is this. God blesses those who endure trials and promises to bestow, to to give the victor's crown of life. So circling back, remember when I said, you know, we're on this hope-filled trajectory, this hope-filled trajectory that we're on? When we endure the various trials in life, sometimes we run the race with endurance. Let's be real, some of us are limping along sometimes. But nevertheless, we go and we grow. We mature and someday God who loves you so much, He's going to give you the victor's crown of life. We're running the race. This is an athletic imagery here. The crown. The victor's crown. Crown of life. And so, it is here. We let this future victory speak to us, church. Someday, the test will be over. You will be healed. You will be whole. And God will give you a kingdom crown. Royalty. You're a, you're a princess and a prince in the universe. And we let that future reality shape our today. The great joy of being victorious. The great joy of being raised up. The great joy of someday hanging out with Jesus victoriously, enjoying life as God intended it to be. This is why we consider it a great joy when we go through various trials. Because we are growing up in Jesus. We are growing up in our victorious selves. So church, God invites you to take a joy-shaped perspective on trials. I'll admit, that is so much easier to say than it is to do. Especially when you're going through it, right? Whatever it is. But God is inviting us. He is calling us for the transformation of our minds. Take a joy-shaped perspective when we go through hard, hard times. Know that God is available. He wants to hear from you. He wants to help you. He invites us to ask Him for wisdom. And so seek out His wisdom through prayer, Bible reading, community. But remember, when you ask for wisdom, ask in confident faith. And if you're poor, seeking after worldly riches, that's foolishness. If you are rich, clinging on to those those riches, that's foolishness. The wisdom for both poor and rich is to boast in Jesus. And church, know that God blesses those who endure trials. So I tell all of you right now, keep up the good work. Fight the good fight of of the faith. Keep the faith. Stay strong. Run well. 
lovers of God, believers in Jesus. God sees you as royalty. Someday he's going to give you the crown of life. So church, take heart. Take heart. You have overcome the world. And gladly go and put a redemptive spin on things. Go be that that non-anxious presence that this world desperately needs. Bring the peace that transcends all understanding, the peace of Jesus. Carry that with you as you face trials. Let's pray.